before the break, we were reviewing what we went through last week, and we uh, went through uh, to look at the message of First Corinthians chapter 13 in particularly, where we say that um, a life characterized by love is more important in the church of Christ than temporary exercise of spiritual gifts. We indicated there are three assertions that we need to make uh, that are essential for understanding this uh, subject and the message that has to do with love. The first one is that the exercise of gifts of speaking in tongues without a life characterized by love is meaningless in that it gives a confusing message. So we spend time to look at uh, the issues involved with what it means not to have love, because that's the concern of the apostle. So I mentioned four things that should help each believer to examine himself or herself to see if he or she does not have love. The first one, of course, is exercise of one's freedom in debatable matters in such a way as to cause or to harm another believer and that means that when you exercise your freedom in Christ that you be careful that you're not doing things where an immature believer or one that uh, is weak in faith will not be hurt by it. The second we mentioned is that uh, to fail to be understanding uh, or or to fail to really be patient with each other will be an act that means one does not have love. The third we mentioned is no genuine concern in the interest of another in order to help the person is another way that shows one is without love. The fourth was not having love then means not uh, not, means sh- uh, shutting one's eyes to the needs of others. So we went through and uh, developed, went into all details about all that, and then we left before break, and I said we'll begin with the second assertion, and that is what we'll begin with uh, the second half. The second assertion of Apostle Paul in the passage of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3 that we are considering is that the exercise of spiritual gifts of prophecy and faith without a life characterized by love renders the believer ineffective. Again, the exercise of the spiritual gifts of prophecy And faith, without a life characterized by love, renders the believer ineffective. And this assertion is based on the two conditional statements of the apostle in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2, which says, If I have the gifts of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I can If I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. 
So the apostle goes in from the gift of speaking in tongues to that of prophecy. Since it is another gift that he mentioned in the 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Now the translators of the NIV correctly assume that the apostle had a mighty gift of prophecy. In the conditional clause, if I have the gift of prophecy. That literally the Greek reads, if I have prophecy. That's all it says in the Greek. If I have prophecy. Now the, this is because the word prophecy is translated from a Greek word that may mean the capacity or the ability to utter inspired message or we can refer to gift of prophesying. That is, of course, to have the ability to declare uh, divine will as the word is used by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 6. Romans Romans chapter 12 verse 6. It is, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. See that clause, if a man's gift is prophesying, is more literally, if it is prophecy. If it is prophecy. Now the word may mean prophecy that that is an utterance inspired by God as Apostle Paul uh, used it in description in challenging or charging Timothy as to what he should do in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 18. First Timothy chapter 1 verse 18. It is, Timothy my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you may fight the good fight. Now the word may mean prophetic activity, as it is used to describe the activities of the two men described in the 11th chapter of Revelation uh, specifically in Revelation chapter 11, verse 6. Revelation It reads, Revelation chapter 11, verse 6 reads, these men have power to shut up the sky so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plagues as often as they want. See, the clause, during the time they are prophesying of the NIV, is more literally during the days of their prophecy. Now, in our passage of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2, the word is used with the meaning of prophecy, that is, of course, the ability to deliver 
representative declaration of the mind, will, or knowledge of God. So the apostle, having mentioned prophecy, refers to two things that will result from from the gift of prophecy. Now we say this because of the verbal phrase in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 2 we are starting. Look at it. It says, And can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. Now that word and is translated from a, a Greek particle that's often translated and in our English versions as reflected in the uh, NIV a majority of our uh, English versions. Now the no doubt the Greek conjunction has uh, several meanings. Uh, some of them may be something like nonetheless or even it can even be used for emphasis with the meaning even. However, in our passage of First Corinthians chapter thirteen verse one, it is probably used to convey that what follows results from the possession of the gift of prophecy. So using this meaning that I've given, the phrase, and can fathom all mysteries, will read something like this. And so, can fathom all mysteries. And so, that is the result, to show its result. Does then the first possible result of gift or prophecy is possession of knowledge concerning God's revealed truth that was previously unknown, as in the verbal phrase where we're studying First Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2, when it says, can fathom all mysteries. Now the expression can fathom is translated from a Greek word with a range of meanings. But we briefly consider those that are possible candidates in our context. The word may mean to grasp the meaning of something or to comprehend. That's a Greek word, oida, O-I-D-I-A, oida, O-I-D-A. Now, it means to comprehend or to understand, to recognize or come to experience something, really. Now, that's the way the word is used in the acknowledgement, acknowledgement of some of Jesus' disciples about his assertion of returning to the Father in John chapter 16 verse 18. John chapter 16 verse 18. John chapter 16 verse 18 reads, They kept asking, What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. See the sentence, We don't understand what he's saying, is literally from the Greek, We do not know what he is saying. We do not know. Here it means to understand. Now the Greek word may mean to remember or to recollect. As Apostle Paul used it to state that uh, 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 of not recollecting, baptizing anyone else in Corinth, other than those he's already mentioned in the context 
as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 16. First Corinthians 1 verse 16 it says, Yes, I also baptize the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. Now the Greek word may mean to know in the sense of having information about someone or something. As Apostle Paul used the word to indicate that the Galatians prior to their salvation did not know the supreme God as stated in Galatians chapter 4 verse 8 Galatians chapter 4 verse 8 it reads formerly when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. So here, it means to know, have information about something as well. In our passage of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 2 though, the word means to know or to possess knowledge in the sense of being aware or cognizant of a fact or a specific piece of information. Now the thing that is to be possessed is given in that phrase, all mysteries. All mysteries in the passage we are studying. Now the word mysteries is translated from a Greek noun that was used in ancient Greece for secret religious ceremonies that were only known to those who are, were initiated into a given court who were not at liberty to disclose them to others. Now, whatever these ceremonies were, they were unknown to the initiates until they become members of the given group. Thus, the word really does not mean something that is difficult or impossible to explain as people think of the world today. When they say, that's a mystery to me. Difficult or impossible to explain, but that's not the way it feels. No, really. The word refers to the content of that which has not been known before, but which has been revealed to a restricted group. Something unknown before, but it's revealed to a, a restricted group of persons because they now belong to a unique group of people. So it is a word that was used frequently in Jewish uh, apocalyptic literature for secrets made known to God's elect by hearing from others. Now a typical example of such a secret is the Messianic kingdom or final judgment. So, the word as used in the New Testament means divine secret. Divine secret. 
that was previously undisclosed so that there was no way any person could know know about it apart from divine revelation. But it has now been revealed to some individuals. And the secret of God revealed is now in the New Testament scripture as an open secret that only those who are spiritually enlightened and know the scripture would become aware. For example, the apostle used a word to describe the facts revealed to him that not all believers will die at the time of the second coming of Christ, but that all will be transformed. He said that he doesn't, you know, not all will die, but all will be transformed. That's something revealed to him according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51. First Corinthians chapter 15 verse 51 say listen I will tell you a mystery we will not all sleep in other words we are not going to die but we will all be changed now that's that the Greek word, of course, refers to secret, disclosed to a, a select few, but hidden from others, is reflected in Jesus' use of the word in answering questions of the disciples, as reported in Matthew chapter 13, verse 11. Matthew. Chapter 13, verse 11. It is, he replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. See here, our Greek word, mysterion, is translated secrets. So that it refers to truths that we are then revealed to the disciples and not to the crowd. So the phrase, the secrets of the kingdom, refers to Jesus' teaching about the various aspects of the kingdom of God that were only revealed to the disciples. Now in our passage of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 2, the Greek word then refers to a secret whose concerned party is a deity alone and those to whom he chooses to share the information, especially concerning the method and the history of God's redemption or other supernatural information. And so the word mystery here can replace it with divine secret. Divine secret. That's what it is. Divine secret. Now that divine secret has been revealed to us in the Bible. 
So we can know it. Only those who are believers who know the Bible know some of these things. So it is this that the apostle then said he possessed uh, certainly as a result of his gift of prophecy. Now we say more, I mean, we'll really say more about this, but let us consider for now the second thing the apostle indicated he possessed that we contend is a result of the gift of prophecy. Another thing the apostle possessed is given in the phrase of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2, that we're starting, where he said, All knowledge, all knowledge. Now, that word knowledge is translated from a Greek word that may mean the content of what is known, content of what is known. As that's the way the word is used in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Second Corinthians Second Corinthians chapter two verse fourteen. It reads Beg thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal possession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the uh, fragrance of the knowledge of him. So here a Greek word is translated knowledge uh, in this case of Christ. Now the word may mean knowledge in the sense of comprehension or intellectual grasp of something as the word is used in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 1. 1 Corinthians 8 verse 1 reads, Now about the full sacrifice to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So here is, we have some intellectual understanding or graph or something. Anyway, in our passage of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 2, uh, the Greek word means knowledge in the sense of special kind of comprehension or special kinds of intellectual grasp of something or information endowed by God as part of the spiritual gift mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. First Corinthians 12, verse 8 reads, To one is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of of knowledge by means of the same spirit. Now this knowledge, the apostle referenced in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 2, is one that results from the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy. As implied by the fact that he associates it with revelation or prophecy when he argues 
that prophecy is more beneficial than speaking in tongues without an interpreter or without interpretation in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 6. First Corinthians chapter 14 verse 6. It is Now brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will, it, will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? So it's really not difficult to accept that the special knowledge that the apostle wrote in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13 verse 2 is a result of the gift of prophecy. Since knowledge is associated with prophecy as implied in what the apostle asserted as he referenced knowledge of the Old Testament prophets or of in Romans chapter 16, verses 25 and 26. Romans chapter 16, verses 25 through 26. Say now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden from uh, for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of eternal God so that all nations might believe and obey him. See that phrase made known through the prophetic writings indicates knowledge that the prophets received as a result of the gift of prophecy. What they wrote down is a knowledge, but it came because of gift of prophecy. So with this understanding of what, they are, uh, what knowledge is, then we return to consider the conditional clause the apostle used in the assertion, the second assertion that we, give, we get, which is that uh, the exercise of spiritual gifts for prophecy and faith Without a life characterized by love renders the believer ineffective. Now the first conditional clause of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 2 reads, If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. Here the apostle uses is one which he recognized his limitation. Even as an apostle of Jesus Christ. In that clause. 
Now we say this because of the kind of the conditional word if he used in the Greek. And the word if the apostle used is really translated from a Greek particle that may be used as a matter of condition of a reduced likelihood of occurrence of an activity referenced with the, with the meaning if. However, the apostle stated things that have the greater likelihood of occurring with him or things that are true of him. See, the apostle has the gift of prophecy. As, for example, he demonstrated when he predicted the shipwreck of the ship taking him uh, to Rome to stand trial and with, of course, the assurance that none of the passengers will die as recorded in Acts chapter 27 verses 21 through 26. Acts chapter 27, beginning at verse 21 through 26, where he displayed that he had the gift of prophecy. So he said, he reads, After the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sell from Crete. Then you have spared yourselves this damage and loss. Now how many people suffer all kinds of damage and loss? Because they don't want to listen to advice that is based on the scripture. But in this case, Paul, you know, being guided by the Holy Spirit, told them they didn't pay attention. Verse 22 says, But now, I urge you to keep your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. In other words, for just one man, God spared the life of how many they were. We don't know exact number. That can happen. Just one man. Because of one man, God can spare the life of a whole lot of people. He said, so, keep your courage that means, go back to verse 25 and, and say, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the life of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men. For I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. 
Nevertheless, we must run aground on the same, on some island. And that exactly happened just the way he told them. Now you will imagine that some of them may have been saved because of that, but we don't know. He wasn't saved, but uh, uh, knowing that a man could tell exactly what would happen, and it happened that way. We have convinced these people when they had him talking about this Christ and Savior who died and rose again, we will have convinced some of them to believe. Anyway, the fact remains that the apostle had a gift of prophecy that's demonstrated. He also claimed to have this special knowledge, as we read in Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 6. Second Corinthians eleven verse six reads I may not be a trained speaker, but I do have knowledge. We we have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. This knowledge is one resulting from the gift of prophecy. Now the apostle also stated he received revelation of divine secrets or mysteries from God. As we read for example in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 3. Ephesians Ephesians chapter 3, verse 3. It is, that is, the mystery made known to me by revelation. No, no, the secret divine, and the divine secret made known to him, to him by revelation. As I have already written briefly. So, if the apostle possesses the uh, gift of prophecy, and is a recipient of mysteries, and knowledge, we should not, we should then uh, should not expect him to use a conditional clause here that may indicate something that is likely or that is less likely to occur. Now we, we have established he has this gift, but he say if, and the Greek word he used for if is something that is no, may not occur. So why would he use that? When he knows that he has a gift, so the fact that he did not uh, avoid using that uh, Greek conditional clause is not merely to set up a situation that may or may not uh, occur, but to recognize his limitation. That's why he uses he's, he's recognizing his limitation. Now another reason for stating that the First conditional clause of First Corinthians uh, chapter 13 verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy and can far from all mysteries is an indicator that the apostle recognizes his limitation is that word all. All. 
in the phrase all mysteries and all knowledge. So that word all is translated from a Greek word that means all alright, every or each one. However, the word is used in various other ways. For example, it may be used to describe an entire uh, an, uh, sorry, an entity out of a totality and so may be translated any and every. But in our passage, it is used to describe completeness or totality of something so that it may be translated whole or it may be translated all. Thus the apostle recognized that he does not have in absolute sense all mysteries, divine secrets, and knowledge. So this being the case, the apostle showed his limitation by the Greek word translated if in the first conditional clause of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 2. So anyhow, the apostle states in the first conditional clause, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries, something that is true uh, is true with him, but he did so with apprehension, not only to indicate something that may or may not be true of others, but is a way again of recognizing his own limitation. Now the second conditional clause of the apostle is given in the next uh, is given next in First Corinthians chapter thirteen verse two. Look at the next one. It says, "And if I have a faith that can move mountains." Now the translators of the NIV omitted in their translation the word all, all, that appears in the Greek, since literally, the Greek reads, if I have all faith, they removed that word, or they omitted that is, the Greek says, if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains. Again, the word all is important in qualifying faith. Since the apostle recognized that it is not possible for him or anyone to have faith in his totality. In his totality. Now, in effect, there are several aspects to faith. Uh, it's impossible for anyone to claim to have all his aspects or Exercise it completely. Every aspect of it. So the word faith is translated from a Greek word pistis. Although often translated faith has several other meanings. Now because most of the time they just translate faith, faith, faith in most of our English versions. But I want to, I want to put you now into a state of consciousness that when you read the Bible, the New Testament and see the word faith you need to pause and think, which, what is it talking about? So for that, I'm going to show you how this word is used severally in the New Testament. 
so that you can say that yes, faith may not always mean what you think it means. Anyway, the word may mean the Greek word pistis may mean faithfulness and or commitment. It is in the sense of faithfulness that the word is used by our Lord Jesus to rebuke the Jews of focusing on the practice of tithing as authorized in the Old Testament scripture while ignoring the more important aspect of the law such as justice and mercy. In Matthew chapter 23 verse 23. Now, sometimes people may not realize it's easier to give money than it is to pursue justice or mercy. It's easier to, for people to give money. So that's not a big uh, issue for some people. Just give money. But that doesn't, there's something more important than giving money. And that's what our Lord was rebuking them here for. Say, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites. You give a tenth of your sizes, mint, dill, and cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law. What are they? Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter. Without neglecting the farmer. You know, the just you have to put the other part also in effect. Now it is in the sense of commitment that the Greek word pistis is used in Romans chapter three, verse three. Romans chapter three, verse three. And hold on to that Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 verse 3 reads, What if some did not have faith? With their lack of faith, nullify God's faithfulness. See that verb, uh, verbal phrase, nullify God's faithfulness, can also be translated, nullify the commitment of God. So you can say, nullify God's faith, but, uh, faithfulness, but it can also mean, nullify the commitment of God. God had made a commitment. Can their unbelief cause that to be nullified? So then it is clear that the Greek word translated faith can mean faithfulness or commitment. Now the Greek word translated faith can mean faith in the active sense of believing or trusting in someone. The kind of believing that brings salvation. It is in the sense, it is in this sense that Apostle Paul used it to describe faith righteousness instead of law righteousness. Still in that Romans chapter 3, look at verse 22. 
It is this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus. Comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. So here the apostle indicates there is a righteousness that comes by trusting Jesus Christ or believing in him. Now, so that's the faith in the active sense. It is in the sense of confidence that the Greek word uh, faith is then used in First Peter chapter 1 verse 21. First Peter chapter 1 verse 21. The first Peter chapter 1 verse 21 reads, Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now, really, Apostle Peter indicates that the recipients of his epistle have confidence. So when he says your, your faith and hope are in God, it means your confidence. So that, so you see that the word can mean confidence. Your confidence is in God. Now, another meaning of the Greek word translated faith is true piety or genuine devotion or even again firm commitment. Now Stephen was described as one who had a genuine devotion or firm commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ in that he did not waver in what he believed but was fully uh, devoted to the Lord. That is the sense that the word faith is used to describe him in Acts chapter 6 verse 5. Acts Chapter 6, verse 5. It reads, This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit. Now here, talk about him being full of faith. It means a man who is full of Piety or devotion. Also, Philip, uh, Prochorus, uh, Nicanor, Timon, Tomenas, uh, and Nicholas. From Anio, a convert to Judaism. Now, it is in the sense of true piety or genuine devotion, or even from commitment, that Apostle Paul used our Greek word in his thanksgiving on behalf of the Roman Christians in Romans chapter 1 verse 8. 
Romans. Romans chapter 1 verse 8 reads, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. So the apostle was not thanking God here on behalf of the Romans for the fact that they have believed or they have faith in Christ as believers, but for the quality of their faith, in which case, it was their genuine devotion to Christ that caused him to thank God on their behalf. Now, another meaning of the Greek word translated faith is an important virtue that Christians should have or they have as a result of believing in Christ or as a result of the Holy Spirit operating in them. It's a part of, so uh, that's why it is used to describe with the meaning faithfulness as an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. In a passage I cited before, you don't have to uh, write it down again, but uh, I'll just read it in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, again where it said the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, uh, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. That's a Greek word, but it's translated faithfulness here as a virtue. Anyway, that faith, though, refers to an important Christian virtue. It's evident in the fact that it is often associated with the virtue of love. And so the apostle used it in that way in his epistle to Timothy in Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. Second Timothy, chapter 1, verse 13. 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 13. It reads, what you have from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. So here is seen as virtue that Christian must have. So it's tied with love. Now this sense of Christian virtue also, uh, in the Greek word translates faith, is also evident in the Apostles' commendation of Philemon, in Philemon 5. Philemon chapter, so 5 means verse 5. Philemon 1 5. Philemon 5. It is because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus 
and your love for all he, all the saints. That fetch here mostly of his virtue. Now another meaning of the word faith is really uh, one that in a passage, I mean some other places though, it could mean religious movement. Faith can mean religious movement, such as the Christian faith, as we say Christian faith, which is essentially the same as the Christian religion. It is in this sense that Apostle Paul used it in Galatians 1.23. Galatians, referring to the Christian faith, or Christian faith as a movement, really. Galatians 1 verse 23. It is they only had a report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith. The faith. He once tried to destroy. And now Paul's uh, former effort, though, was focused on exterminating Christians, and so the Christian movement. That's what he was after. Thus, when he tried to destroy uh, whatever it is, what he tried to destroy is really not so much the preaching of the gospel, but the Christian movement. Since if he stopped the movement, then he will have destroyed the Christian religion. Of course, that was not uh, to be the case as he was converted and became one of the most servant advocates of the Christian movement. Still, another meaning of the Greek word translated faith is body of teaching or what we say Doctrine, body of teaching, so that faith can mean body of teaching or doctrine. Now, it is in this way that the word is used by Apostle Paul to describe what will happen in the later times. What will happen in the later times, as described in First Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. First Timothy chapter 4 verse 1. Remember I said faith can refer to body of teaching or doctrine. And this is an example of where it is used in that sense of doctrine or body of teaching. Now this is what the Holy Spirit says to the Apostle Paul. This very clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Now here, faith refers to doctrinal teachings. 
Now here, of course, to be sure that that is the case, though, uh, we know that if you look at what he has here, and the father he mentioned, the, uh, that expression, things taught by demo, uh, demons. So you, you know that when he's talking about faith, he's talking about teaching. Because here he's talking about things taught by demons. But this is the thing that I want us to pay attention to though. The Holy Spirit tells us that in the later days, people will abandon doctrinal teaching. Now, we're seeing it. It's, it's now very prevalent in our days. The doctrinal teaching or the doctrine of the church, people are abandoning it right and left. I'm talking about who, those who even preach it. What, what do I mean by that is, yeah, they explain what it is, and sometimes they wouldn't even do that, because to them it's controversial, and they back away from it, or because they don't want to offend somebody. But the Lord says, through the Holy Spirit, that yes, it's going to happen in the later times, and we are in that later times, and that is why people do not take the word of God seriously anymore. They say, yeah, the Bible says this. And then they go ahead and contradict it. And yet they're calling themselves Christians who believe the Bible. Or they just say, yeah, the Bible says this. But they ignore it completely and do whatever it is they, go, they want to do. That is what is predicted by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul. It's going to happen. And it is happening right before our own eyes these days. People are ignoring what the Bible says. And behaving as if it doesn't exist. Now, anyway, the fact that uh, the word faith, the Greek word can mean body of doctrines or Christian faith, the teachings of the Christian faith, is clearly then, that's the way it's used clearly in Jude 3. Jude 3. Again, Jude is one book to... Jude 3 means verse 3. Jude 3. It reads, Dear friends, although I'm very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the ten, for the saints. Now, what's entrusted to the saints? It cannot be believing. It is body of teaching that's entrusted to the saints. That's what he's talking about. So here, faith refers clearly to doctrines. So we have considered then various meaning of the Greek word translated faith. But in our passage, though, of First Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2, faith refers to that state of strong confidence in and reliance upon God that is a gift from God that may lead to the miraculous. Again, I say it is a state of strong confidence. A state of strong confidence in and reliance upon God that is a gift from him, really, 
that may lead to the miraculous. Now there's more to consider though in the second conditional clause that we're considering. And that's really where we're going to begin our next study. But let me remind you and by reminding you that the second assertion that we have stated is that the exercise of spiritual gifts of prophecy and faith without a life characterized by love renders the believer ineffective. And we'll pick up this uh, verse, verse 2, continue with it next week. Let's pray. As we end our study this morning, there may be someone here or someone listening over the internet. You do not have life yet, which means that if you were to die now, you wind up in the lake of fire. It's an awful thing to think about. That you can stay on this planet and go through all the headache of this life only to enter into the most horrible state for all eternity. Now you think about it, your suffering is with this body. But this suffering that you're going to face in hell is with a different kind of body, but the same you, the same soul, everything. And to think about the fact that a man or a woman is going to spend eternity in a place of absolutely nothing good from God will reach him or her. Must be awful. It was so awful that the Son of God volunteered to leave heaven to come and pay for the sins of the world so that those who trust in him will not go there. It is so horrendous that he came and endured all kinds of abuse from humans that he created when he had the power to destroy them, reduce them to dust from which he created them. He could could have spoken his word and all those persecuting were reduced to dust. He didn't do that. It was tremendous control on his part because he loved you so much. He didn't want you to go to a place he has designed for those who reject him. And so he came and he taught the miracles to prove that he is the Son of God. After which, of course, he made that claim and the resurrection and the love. And anyone who believes in me, even though he dies, he will still live. When he went through all that, eventually he was arrested. Because when they came to arrest him, he simply asked him a question who, do you, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am. That means God spoke. And they hit the crown. They gave him permission. They arrested him. And after all those mock trials, they led him to Golgotha, where he was nailed on the cross, on the ground, and then lifted and sunk to the ground also, putting more pressure, more pain on him. He didn't say a word. He didn't complain. But the last three hours on that cross, when my sins and your sins were being charged on the Son of God, it was so unbearable that he let out that cry. Eloi, Eloi, my God, my God, 
Why have you forsaken me? You have forsaken that you may be brought in. You have forsaken that you may have life. How? The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What are you going to believe? Again, the Bible says, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Believing in him, you have life through his name. If you believe that he died, was buried, rose again the third day, it doesn't matter what your sins have been. They will be completely cleansed. You'll be given a clean slate. Your sins will be no more remembered by God. And he will give you eternal life. He will give you his own righteousness, both of which qualify you then to be with him throughout eternity. So escape his wrath expressed in hell by those who reject him, by believing in his son Jesus Christ. On the other hand, if you refuse to do so, may I tell you, may I remind you, that you are knocking at the gate of hell, a place of horrible suffering. Escape it by faith in Christ. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the study of your word. We pray that God, the Holy Spirit, continue to cause us to recognize the importance of us demonstrating love in a way that will substantiate what we claim that we believe, so that people will not see a confusing message from us because we claim to love and we live differently. This is our request in Christ's name. Amen.